is Allison Carter with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 65, and today I will be talking about repetitive behaviors, or what some people refer to as self-stimming or stimming, which stands for self-stimulating. Last week, I released my show on March 21st, 321, which was World Down Syndrome Day. I didn't realize when I was recording the show that I would be releasing it on that day, so I wanted to go ahead and acknowledge it in this show, even though it's after the fact. We did wear crazy and brightly colored socks that day to show our support and help raise awareness. And next week we have World Autism Awareness Day, so I'm sure we will all wear blue that day to show our support for that as well. Now, just out of curiosity, for today's topic, I googled self-stimming, and the first thing that popped up was the Wikipedia definition of just the word stimming. So I clicked on it and read their definition, which I will also read for you in just a minute, and I felt pretty uneasy with what they wrote. I already know what self-stimming is, but when I read their definition, I felt like it almost had a negative tone to it. So here is the definition, at least the first part. Quote, self-stimulatory behavior, also known as stimming and self-stimulation, is the repetition of physical movements, sounds, or repetitive movement of objects common in individuals with developmental disabilities and most prevalent in people with autism spectrum disorders. However, it is also commonly seen in people with anxiety disorders, such as obsessive-compulsive disorder, ADHD, Tourette syndrome, and in people with neurological disorders or brain infections. It is considered a way in which a person with autism and others calm and stimulate themselves. End quote. I guess I'm having a hard time with the assumptions that they are making, starting with the very first part of the definition. Why doesn't the definition just say the very first statement, which is self-stimulatory behavior, also known as stimming and self-stimulation, is the repetition of physical movements, sounds, or repetitive movement of objects, period. That is a good definition, and I feel like it's an accurate one. But they continue on to say, blah, 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 common in individuals with developmental disabilities and most prevalent in people with autism spectrum disorders. And it is considered a way in which a person with autism and others calm and stimulate themselves. Now, I'm not saying that those last two statements are completely wrong, because I think people with disabilities and autism do self-stimulating behaviors. But I don't understand why that is included in the definition part of their explanation. People with disabilities and autism do stimming behaviors. But so what? When they present it this way, it makes it sound like all people with disabilities do self-stimulating behaviors, and that is a very big problem in my opinion. Just give the basic definition, and then later when they were discussing who might display some of these behaviors. You can mention autism, anxiety, etc. The part that I think is missing in their explanation is that self-stimming behaviors are not exclusive to people with disabilities. How many of you right now are tapping your pencil on the table? 
How many of you are bouncing your leg up and down while you're sitting and listening to this? How many of you are clicking the end of your pen? Click, click, click. Wouldn't all of these activities be considered repetition of physical movements, sounds, or repetitive movement of objects? I think so. Why are you doing it? Or why do you do it when you when you are doing it? Or why do you do other things similar to these examples? Is it to calm or stimulate yourself in some way? Are you falling asleep at work and trying to keep yourself awake by repetitively bouncing your leg? Trying to pay attention in a meeting? Or are you nervous or anxious about going to talk to someone or trying to concentrate on a difficult assignment or a job? And clicking your pen repetitively seems to help you somehow, even if you don't even realize that you're doing it at first? I think the reason you might bring this up with respect to people who have disabilities is if the repetitive behaviors are affecting their daily life in a negative way. I guess, honestly, you could say if it affects anyone's life in a negative way, not just people with disabilities. I'm not sure how this all goes over in the therapy or disability communities, but it seems to me that calling these actions repetitive behaviors rather than self-stimming or self-stimulatory behaviors would be more appropriate. The reason for this is I don't know that you can always assume that someone is stimulating themselves in some way by doing these things. If they are doing it as a calming activity, can you call it stimulating? Anyway, the point of this discussion for me is that people get very worked up about repetitive behaviors, and I'm suggesting that we all just need to take a breath for a minute. I know this is a very controversial topic, and everyone out there has their own opinions about it. And I get it. That's completely fine. I'm not trying to tell anyone how to think about this topic. But I want to try and present some maybe different ways of thinking about it for everyone to at least consider. As a society, we get very worked up about what we look like and what other people think about us. As parents, we often think about our kids. We want to protect them, and we don't want them to stand out potentially in potentially negative ways for our society's standards. Unfortunately, I can't change the world and how this works. If acceptance and understanding was just innate in all of us, then many people's lives would be much easier. So, earlier I mentioned some repetitive behaviors that anyone might do. There's probably a list a mile long of different types of repetitive behaviors because the basic definition in itself is pretty broad. Popping your gum, tapping your fingers on the desk, flipping open and close a lid on a water bottle, twirling your hair, biting your fingernails, any of those things I would consider repetitive behaviors. None of them are necessarily associated with a disability or autism, but just considered regular things that people sometimes do. Now, sometimes we give each other looks when the tapping gets to be too much. That's often when the person doing the tapping first realizes they are even doing it in the first place. Weird how that happens if you think about it. Try and relate that same idea to people who have disabilities or people who have autism. Although, the look when you want them to stop doesn't always or maybe even usually work with them. Depending on their level of awareness and social skills, and overall developmental level, they may or may not know they are doing a repetitive behavior at all, 
or that they are maybe even annoying you or that society doesn't like it when they do that or whatever it is. I don't want to downplay this at all, though, and that's not what I'm trying to do today because this can be such an overriding issue for many people. That is when we do need to talk about these repetitive behaviors, when they are interfering with a person's ability to function in their daily life. Sorry, but the OT in me is coming out again. It does come back to this for me, though. If a person is doing the repetitive behavior but still functioning and being as independent as they can in life, then we may not need to address it. However, if the repetitive behavior is affecting their ability to communicate with someone or their ability to socialize with others, or it's getting in the way of them learning something new or other things that might affect their life, then we do need to talk about it more. That is where I do agree with Wikipedia that some people with developmental disabilities, anxiety or OCD, and Tourette syndrome, and others have repetitive behaviors that do interfere with their daily life. Repetitive behavior is one known characteristic of autism. It falls under the second part, or letter B, of the diagnostic criteria. In these cases, the repetitive behaviors are things like hand flapping, spinning either themselves or other objects, head-banging, rocking their body, lining up toys, opening and closing doors repetitively, making repetitive non-functional sounds with their mouth. These are all thought to be more either distracting or disruptive to other people around them and prevent the person from engaging in the world around them as well. We really aren't talking about those toe-tapping, pen-clicking type of behaviors at this point. They are much larger and usually more obvious behaviors that make other people take notice. Perhaps those of us that don't have a disability or diagnosable condition of some kind have learned to follow social norms, and we notice when our repetitive behavior is bothering other people, and we recognize this and try to stop doing it. Or someone says, can you please stop tapping your pencil? It's driving me crazy. And so you stop tapping your pencil because you can. You might even apologize because you didn't realize you were doing it and you didn't mean to. People who have issues with social skills, body awareness, general social awareness, anxiety, and sensory processing issues can have a really difficult time doing that. If you ask them to stop doing their repetitive behavior, they may or may not even process what you said. They might not have the self-awareness to make themselves stop, or they might be aware of it, but don't want to because the repetition is helping them feel good in some way. Parents of kids with special needs and therapists also want answers. What to do about this? How to make them stop? Should we make them stop? I'm not going to tell you one way or another on this because it is a very individualized situation. I can't give a blanket answer on this topic for anyone. Each family dynamic is so different and every child is so different. How can I say to do one thing for everyone out there? I will reiterate this point, though. If the repetitive behaviors are preventing the person or child from participating in daily life, I think you need to try and find a way to help them engage. People do things for a reason, even if others don't know what that reason is. If you can figure out why they do the behaviors, that's great, and you can go from there to help them. 
But that isn't always easy. So instead of focusing on potentially negative things, focus on positive strategies for helping the child participate in playing with other kids, playing with toys, talking or communicating with you in some way, becoming more aware of their environment. Maybe it's sensory processing or whatever it is that seems to be a difficulty for them. I can't tell you to try and stop your child when they're flapping their hands repetitively because, first of all, I don't know your child, and second of all, this could be a calming or coping strategy for them. If this is their strategy and we try to take it away or stop them from doing it, how are they going to feel? More calm? Probably not. I would guess they might become more upset and more stressed if that's why they do it. Maybe it's a visually stimulating behavior for them. They might like the way it looks when they flap their hands up by their eyes or their head. Your peripheral vision is a place where you notice movement. So that could just be something they like to see, or maybe that is calming for them to focus on how it looks so they can block out or ignore other visually stimulating things in the environment that are offensive to them or overstimulating to them. Maybe there are sounds in the environment that are difficult for them to process, and their natural reaction is to flap their hands because they don't have the language or the ability to communicate to you in some other way that the noises around them are bothering them. Maybe they just like the way it feels when they move their hands back and forth like that. The deep pressure of the movement feels good on their hands and fingers and wrists. This is why I can't tell you what to do with your child in this case because with just one example of hand flapping, and there's so many other examples of repetitive behaviors, but just with this one, I quickly came up with several possibilities for reasons why they might be doing it, and there are many more possible reasons out there. The only time I would say you need to get them to stop doing a behavior for sure is if they're physically harming themselves or someone else by doing it. If the actions are a safety concern, there is no question that you need to help them stop. I want to end today with a research study that was published in the American Journal of Occupational Therapy in 2010. The study of the title is Relationships Between Stereotyped Movements and sensory processing disorders in children with and without developmental or sensory disorders. They are calling stereotyped movements, quote, motor responses that are repetitious, excessive in rate, frequency, or amplitude, and pursued in an invariant way, unquote. So basically, our repetitive behaviors that are more obvious than, than the simple pencil tapping on the desk We're talking about those bigger movements that interfere with daily life activities. The study looked at whether or not the severity of sensory processing disorders were associated with the severity of stereotyped movements. The study took place in Israel and included 221 children between the ages of 6 and 13 years. There were 129 boys and 92 girls included. The children were categorized into five different groups. One, typically developing children. The second, children with intellectual disabilities. The third, children with visual impairments. And the fourth, children with hearing impairments. And the fifth, children with autism. The short sensory profile was used to determine any sensory processing differences with the children. They also used 
um, the Stereotyped and Self-Injurious Movement Interview Questionnaire to assess stereotyped body movements, manipulation of objects, and self-injurious behavior of children. It assesses specifically how many different stereotypical movements the child performs, the frequency each one is performed, and the duration of time that they do the movements. Then the researchers used data analysis with these two assessments to determine the results of their study. So there was no actual experiment or testing done with the children. They just used the data that was gathered from the questionnaires to determine the results. The data analysis is laid out in the research article, but it is very technical and I won't even try to get into it. If you're interested, please just use the link in the show notes to read the whole article. The researchers determined from this data that sensory processing disorders do account for differences in the prevalence of stereotyped movements. They also determined that having an intellectual disability in itself does not contribute directly to stereotyped movements. However, intellectual disability plus sensory impairments and um, autism combined do increase the prevalence of stereotyped movements. Because of these results, they assess that, quote, stereotyped movements are an adaptive form of behavior that enable a person with sensory processing disorder to cope with sensory over and under responsivity, end quote. They also reported that, quote, atypical sensory processing is strongly related to stereotyped movements, not only in children with autism, <clears throat> with autism, but also in children with intellectual disability or hearing or vision loss or who are typically developing, end quote. So this tells me that any person who has sensory processing issues has the potential for increased stereotyped movements. This study suggests that sensory processing can and does have an effect on repetitive actions or repetitive behaviors. I don't want to jump to conclusions that all repetitive behaviors are related to sensory processing issues because I don't think that can be said from this study. It does provide some strong evidence for sensory-based reasons for stereotyped movements, even though it doesn't give the reasons why specifically someone is doing them. That is still very dependent on the individual person and each individual scenario that they're faced with in their lives. I hope this has helped you have some perspective on the issue today. I don't know if there were too many actual answers for you, but that really wasn't the point of this show for me. I just wanted to give you some perspectives and hopefully help you think about this in some new ways. I really hope, if nothing else, it will encourage you to deal with the issue of repetitive behaviors in a compassionate way. Because children and adults who do them may need your support and understanding more than anything else. Thank you for listening and have a great day.